0: Hey ladies, welcome to The Woman Podcast. My name is Katie Bezet and I'm your host and we are excited for 2021. We're excited to get started on this new year and we have a fun addition to what we've normally done here on the podcast that I want to tell you about. So we're starting a new teaching series through the book of Luke and two of my friends Rebecca Shatswell and Heather Hoyt will be leading us through a Bible study, teaching us through the book of Luke, and both of these ladies have been on the Woman Podcast before. I'm sure you're familiar with their names, um, but they are both phenomenal teachers and really do have a gift for understanding God's word and helping others understand it. Um, I don't know about you, but it always—it's not always easy to open up God's word and get something out of it that applies to your everyday life. And they just really do have a gift for that. And so, I'm just. excited because I think it's going to be helpful I know for me personally it's going to be helpful and I just really believe that um, for you it will be as well so I want to encourage you to follow along as we read through the book of Luke and study it and um, This teaching is recorded live at New Life Church in Conway. We have a Bible study on Thursdays at noon, and if you're local, we would love to have you. So here is our first week going through Luke chapter one with Rebecca Shatzwell. Hope you enjoy.
1: Everybody. I'm just so glad to be in the land of the living among other humans. My family got to quarantine last week. For our second time, I'm now immune, but a couple of our family members were not. Um, So I'm just glad to be with everybody today. Uh, And I'm excited. You know, I was hoping, Katie and I started talking about doing a Bible study, and I was just thinking, like, maybe 10 women in one of the rooms of the church, and God's just been downloading a passion in me to teach the life of Jesus a little bit more, because as we've been watching everything that's unfolded in the last year, it's become really apparent to me how much we have to be anchored in truth to be able to withstand what is going on, and truth is not a point. It's not a thought it's not an idea, it's not a cultural concept, truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if we want steadfastness in the middle of everything that's going on that's so uncertain, it is going to be based on our ability to be anchored in the truth of Jesus. So that's really where this came from. I was hoping it would just be a small little Bible study and it has grown. But the thing that's been exciting to me is it just shows how much we are all feeling a hunger, a hunger for the word of God, a hunger for the life that is found in the pages of the Bible. I was um, studying this week. It was a little complicated because I was with my family a lot, but every time I was taking time to just stop and soak in the word of God, I am amazed every time at how much God's word is truly our life source. And my prayer for you guys, for this group, is not that you'll come every week and hear the observations and revelations God has given, me or given Heather, but I am believing that even if you have felt unable on your own to open the Bible and to get a revelation from you, for yourself, that that is going to change as we are together, because God is a good God, and Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. He is literally our mentor as we are reading Scripture, and the more we read Scripture, the more we will hear the voice of God. So I'm praying that over you guys, but there is so much in Luke chapter 1. And two. who read it? Okay, let's be real. Be honest. You know, I know some of you didn't. It's okay. I was always a last-minute person with homework. I was always praying that I didn't get caught on the carpet for homework assignments. Okay, there is a lot in Luke chapters 1 and 2. I was talking with my friend Kit yesterday, and she goes, you're just trying to teach chapter 1, right? I said, no, we're going to try 1 and 2. If I'm being honest, we may only cover chapter 1 today. She goes, because chapter 1 is long. I don't know if you guys read um, chapters 1 and 2, but there is so much that happens. So we're going to go until it makes sense for us to stop. And if I have to give you guys some of my notes of things that we didn't get to cover later, I will do that. It basically felt, I don't know if you've ever tried to put on a pair of jeans after Thanksgiving, but it felt a little bit like that moment. You know, like, honey, you can try all you want, but it is not gonna fit, okay? So let's jump into this. Luke gives us the backstory of Jesus's birth. And he does it in a very beautiful way. The amazing thing about the first two chapters of Luke is all of the details prior to the birth of Jesus and in the birth of Jesus, in those first two chapters, do not appear in any other gospel. And Luke was the only Gentile to contribute writing to the scriptures. So what's amazing to me is that a Gentile, somebody outside the nation of Israel, thought it was important enough to go all the way back to the beginning, even before the beginning of Jesus' birth. and check his facts and go back and personally interview person after person who had personal encounters with Jesus. He knew it was so important for us to, stand, to understand the origin of Jesus. So if Luke had not written his gospel, 35%, a third of what he wrote in his gospel does not appear in any other gospel. There would be so much about Jesus that we would be missing. And I want to jump into the first verse does anybody like to read out loud any hands okay let's do it whoever whoever wants to read is great just stand up maybe we can hear your voice a little bit better verses one through four wow great reading voice yeah go carry carry. you may get to read more Um, Okay, so Luke just makes it really clear the purpose of his gospel at the very beginning. He's writing a letter and he already recognizes that other people have written accounts of jesus's life but he decided to take it upon himself because he was writing to a different audience than had been written to before he was writing to most excellent theophilus right if you listen to the video that we sent out last week most excellent is a phrase that was used to denote royalty or somebody in a governmental position so luke and this is in a time where Rome is the government that is ruling over Israel. So, Theophilus, that's a Greek name, Theophilus is not somebody in the nation of Israel. It is a ruler or a person of authority outside the nation of Israel. The word Theophilus means friend of God. So the thought that most scholars have is that he was writing to a person of authority or royalty according to the Roman government that was considered an early convert. In other words, Luke is trying to say, I know you've been taught a lot about Jesus, but I wanted to go back and fully investigate everything and give you an orderly account so you can be sure of the exact truth of the things that you have been taught. Luke wanted to demonstrate with precision and accuracy that Jesus was, in fact, the Savior of the world. He compiled his gospel like an investigator. So Luke's gospel can be really trustworthy. Most people think that he spent the two years that Paul was imprisoned in Rome researching for this gospel. That's really cool. And I don't know if you know this, it's a side note, but Luke's name means light giving and it's cool to see that this was a purpose spoken over his life his entire life that he fulfilled when he wrote these two books Luke and Acts if you have not gotten into Bible study very far very deep on your own I just want to encourage you with a few thoughts the meanings of names in scripture are always significant Um, the Hebrew people that's another word for Jewish people When they would name their children, they had two goals in the names. They were trying to give them words of heritage, which told people who they came from, the father that they came from, the tribe that they came from, and they were trying to give them words of destiny. So the idea when they would name their children is, I want people to know who they came from and I want them to know where they are going. So when you start reading scripture, can I just encourage you, when you see a name, just stop. Look up blueletterbible.org. It's so simple. There's a search bar. You just type the name in. If you don't like King James Version, which I tend to not like it, I just click all the way down to NASB new American standard Bible, I think, Um, just because it's a little more like an NIV version. I click down to that, and then it will literally pull up all the places that name is used in scripture. There's a little box at the top. You click strong so you can get the concordance numbers. You click the number beside the name, and voila, you have the name meaning. Okay? I'm just telling you that for anyone who is into research, you can do this all on your own. So Luke's name means light giving. Um, And it's cool to see the power of names all throughout Scripture. There are multiple times where God encounters a person and then he changes their name after the encounter. You guys know some of the stories I'm talking about. Abraham starts out as Abram. Sarah starts out as Sarai. I don't know how to say her name. And she turns to Sarah. So Abram was exalted father, but when God made a covenant with Abraham and told him that through him, all the nations of the earth would be blessed, which was a prophecy of Jesus, he changed his name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. Jacob, his name meant supplanter or schemer or thief. Can you imagine naming your child that? I think you look like a thief. Okay, so he didn't have a great meaning to his name. I don't know why his parents thought this is the purpose on his life. I mean, it ends up being true if you realize how he got the blessing. He didn't get it through up and up means, but we're not going to get off track on that. But he has a moment where he wrestles with the Lord all night. And then God changes his name after that encounter to be one who wrestles with God and prevails or a prince of God or A prince who has power with God. And then there's the moment of Peter in the New Testament, right? His name was what? Simon. Yes, y'all can, we're in a living room, right? You can shout out the answer. Okay, Simon, which just meant one who hears and accepts. And then he has this moment with Jesus where he's talking to his disciples and he's saying, who does everyone say that I am? Well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, which meant he fulfilled his original purpose. He heard the word about Jesus and he accepted it. And Jesus changed his name in that moment and said, from now on, you will be called the rock and upon your life, I will build my church. So I'm saying this to you guys. I want you to realize when we encounter the Lord, he starts to speak a new name over us that reflects our new heritage, not just our earthly heritage, but our heavenly heritage and our new purpose that is fulfilled through the Holy Spirit moving through our life. Okay, moving on. Why did Luke write his gospel? He says, So that you, Theophilus, we can call him Theo for short, may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. Not hearsay, not urban legend, not rumor has it. Rumor has it. Any Adele fans moving on? Not a story that gets blown out of proportion every time you tell it for dramatic effect. Anyone a storyteller like that? No, none of us, right? Right. But he wanted to give the exact truth about truth himself. Something you may not know about Luke is that he was, most people think he was a martyr. And that he died by being hung to death on an olive tree. I'm telling you that. I'm a little out of breath. and I don't know why. Maybe because I haven't exercised in nine days because I haven't been out of my house. But anyway, most people think that Luke was a martyr. And it's important to, for me, for all of us to realize when we are reading this gospel, that he knew he was working on something that might cost him his life to pursue, and he pursued it anyway. So my question for you and I is, have we been so transformed by Jesus that we would be willing to devote all our effort to spreading his message, even if it costs us our lives? As I said earlier, truth is not a point. Truth is a person. And one of the things I'm praying about all of us as we read through Luke together is that we would take hold of truth. Because the more of God's truth that is on the inside of us, the more we quickly recognize the voice and the prompting of the Holy Spirit right? The the word is God breathed. It says that in 2 Timothy. That means when you are reading these words on this page, you are listening to the voice of God. The written word is the voice of God. And we live in a day where so much is coming at us from so many different sources, so many different words and thoughts and ideas. Our ability to distinguish between lies and truth is based on our relationship with the Holy Spirit and our devotion to the word of God. God. And I want us to be able to quickly, as something comes at us, recognize where is that coming from? Is that from God? Is that from the enemy? Is that from a place of fear? Is that from a place of faith? I was reading this past week. It's kind of a dark example to share with you, but I follow this account of this um, girl who her entire cause is all about fighting human trafficking. And she was, she mentioned an article that appeared in Teen Vogue, that justified pornography that portrays non-consensual sex. That's a fancy way of saying rape. The article in Teen Vogue was trying to encourage teens if they come across pornography of this type, it's okay. And it had all this list of reasons why. And I'm saying that because recognizing where we're getting our truth from and how badly the enemy is fighting to get his messages into the younger generation is so important. We have got to be alert as the as the warriors of God, as the light bears with the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. <clears throat> okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this gospel. We thank you for all that you did, Lord God, to set these events in order. We pray that you would open our eyes so we could see wonderful things in your law. There is no one like you, Jesus. We exalt you with all that we have, Father. I pray you would be lifted up and that you would draw all attention to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, when Luke opens, we learn of two families that are about to experience miracles. Family number one is Zacchaeus. Zechariah and Elizabeth. Family number two is Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph were engaged. They weren't married yet. Um, But Mary and Joseph are from the kingly line of David. Zechariah and Elizabeth are from the priestly line of Aaron. In case you don't know who Aaron is, it was Moses' brother, the first priest that was established over the nation of Israel. So verse five, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, which was a descendant of Aaron. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, both descendants of the priestly line in Israel, and her name was Elizabeth. Verse six, they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. And yet they had no child because Elizabeth was infertile. And they were both advanced in years. Okay, in verse six and seven, we learn three things about Zechariah and Elizabeth. First thing we learn is God's perspective of them. In the sight of God, what does he describe them as? Say it louder. Righteous, what else? Blameless, some people say obedient, or some translations say obedient, some say faithful. So God's perspective is that they are trying to do everything they can to obey the voice of God and the word of God in their life, okay? The second thing we learn is their earthly reality. What is the earthly reality in their life? They have no children. And the third thing we learn is the extent of their pain. What does it say? They were advanced in years. That's a really polite way of saying what? they were old okay this is where it gets really fun to look up different translations which i did so let me tell you what all the translations say far advanced in years well along in years well stricken in years getting on in years they were both very old getting old quite old too old of advanced age, older people elderly of great age and the message version says starting to sack i'm just kidding i'm kidding that'd be my version But I am wanting you guys to feel the impact of the simple phrase, they had no child. Most back then married young. That means they married usually before the age of 20. So think about it. If you married before the age of 20, you have 20 plus childbearing years. So, when this describes them as having no children and yet pretty old, very old, too old, quite old, this doesn't mean that they had gone for a couple of years without hearing or seeing the answer to their prayer. They had gone for decades praying and believing God to fulfill one promise in their life and children back then as they are now but even more importantly then they were a sign of god's blessing on your life they were the only way you had a future they were the only way you could pass on your family line which was so important especially in the nation of israel they were the generations that were coming after you and yet in their lack of an answer from the lord how did they choose to respond to the lord they remain faithful to him, not for one year of not seeing the promise fulfilled, not for two, but we're looking at decades. Can you imagine what people thought of them? Well, you know, they're Zechariah's a priest, and they seem like great people, but man, something must be wrong in their life because they just can't have children, right? Uh, Ellen, who is actually here in the room, hey, Ellen. Um, She shared a couple of years ago about how God brought her through a season where she was struggling with thoughts of fear, and the what-ifs would roll through her mind, and God challenged her to replace those what-ifs with the phrase, even if, and to stand in that place, even if this happens in my life, I will yet worship the Lord. Even if this never happens, I will still follow him. Even if I don't see the, the result that I'm believing for here on earth, I will remain faithful. Zachariah and Elizabeth were even if people. They worshiped Jesus because he was worthy, not because he was blessing them. They followed because God is good, not because they always agreed with where he was leading them. They obeyed again and again because they knew God could be trusted and they loved him more than they loved themselves. They stayed the course because they knew that God is a greater reward than any other blessing that we seek from his hand. So my question is, can you and I follow in the footsteps of Zachariah and Elizabeth. Through suffering, through storms, through unanswered prayers, can we mature in Jesus and not bail when it gets hard? Not be so discouraged that we check out of life for a little bit and fill ourselves with so many other things so we don't have to think about our pain. Can we instead let our pain cause us to fall at the feet of Jesus and walk through it with him? Can we love God more than we love ourselves? Verse 8. Now, it happened while he was performing his priestly service. This service was usually one week long, And because there were so many priests in his specific line, most scholars think that Zechariah was able to perform this priestly function one time in his life. So he prepared to do this priestly job. And the job he was going to do is he was allowed to go into the holy place and burn incense on the altar and a priest could not enter the holy place unprepared there was all these ceremonial rules and rituals they had to follow to qualify to be able to enter the holy place in fact they would tie bells on the feet of the priests because if a priest entered the holy place representing the direct presence of god without preparing without being worthy there were priests that would literally just die in in the presence of god and have to be removed no one else would go in with them they would go in alone. So, you can imagine there's a little bit of intimidation, right? He's like excited that he's getting in the presence of God, but I'm thinking he's tiptoeing, you know? I might be like, nothing happened? Okay. So he's performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division. According to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. Now an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. I'm pretty sure he didn't expect that to happen when he got in the holy place, right? Why do you think the angel, she, the angel, she, I think it was a he's, name's Gabriel, right? Sorry, Gabriel. Anyway, um, why do you think Gabriel decided to show up to Zachariah in that place? He could have shown up to him in any moment of his life, in any location, and he waits until he is in the presence of God at the altar of incense. Anyone have any thoughts? What? A reward? Yes you know, he's in the presence of God. You might think of it as being a natural place for an angel to show up. But I want you to know there's something really significant about the altar of incense. In Exodus chapter 30 is where God commands Moses for them to build the tabernacle and everything inside of it. And that's where you get the plan for the altar of incense. But you have to fast forward all the way to Revelation chapter eight to understand what the altar of incense represented. And so I'm going to read from Revelation. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. What does the altar of incense represent? The prayers of God's people. The incense that they would create to burn on that altar, there was a specific recipe that God gave Moses, a recipe for a fragrance that was always to be burning in the temple. It was never to go out. And it was such a holy thing that God said, don't let any perfumer make any other fragrance that is like it. I wish I knew what that smelled like. I'll tell you cinnamon was in it. So you know it had to be good, right? But this incense, this fragrance was always filling the temple and it represents that our prayers are always going up before our father. He's never not mindful of the things that you and I are communicating to him. They are always in front of him. The incense altar was the thing that stood in front of the most holy place before you entered the direct presence of, of, well, he was called Shekinah in the Old Testament, the direct glory of God. Um. Okay, so verse 12, Zachariah was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him. Right, I guess he was, right? Right, don't act like you would be any different. Have you ever gone into the sanctuary over here when no one's in there and the lights are dim just to pray? I have, and I am telling you, if anything showed up in front of me in that moment, I would say a lot of things I shouldn't. Run and pray in the spirit, probably all at the same time, right? So Zachariah is immediately afraid, as I, as you would imagine. But the angel says to him, "Do not be afraid." I love those words because every time the direct presence of God shows up throughout Scripture, people are immediately afraid. They've never seen anything like it, and that phrase is the phrase that is spoken to them over and over again. So I want you to say this to yourself: say, "Self, do not be afraid." Zachariah, your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. Anybody know what the name John means? It means Jehovah is a gracious giver. And think about the truth of John's name, because here Zachariah and Elizabeth had been struggling with barrenness for years waiting to see the provision of God and they had waited so long they thought they were past even being able to receive it. And yet God on the sidelines had his own plan and his own timing he was working out and he had a purpose on John's life that was much bigger than anything his parents would have ever dreamed about. And God collided those two ideas and in one moment he not only gave a baby to Zechariah and Elizabeth but he anointed him with a mighty purpose that would end up ministering to the entire nation of Israel. Verse 14, you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice over his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will Drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers back to their children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Wow, what a purpose on John's life! Not just you get an answer to your prayer, but this baby has a mighty purpose. And Gabriel quotes a verse from Malachi. Malachi, if you don't know, it's the very last book that appears in the Old Testament. He's the last prophet to speak before the nation of Israel will enter a time known as 400 years of silence. There are 400 years that this nation does not have any prophet that is showing up to speak the word of God to them. And you have to realize, we kind of take it for granted because after Jesus was given as a sacrifice for our sin, God allowed the covering of Jesus' blood over our life to make a way that the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, could inhabit you and I who are far from holy. But that sacrifice had not been made yet. The covering had not been made. If the Holy Spirit would have, been, would have tried to inhabit a person in the Old Testament without the covering of the Lord upon them, it would have been their destruction. And so God would send his word directly through people who would go and speak his word to the nation because people were not hearing the Holy Spirit's voice for themselves. They would hear it through prophets. Malachi was the last prophet to speak before 400 years of silence. And the verse that Gabriel quoted is the last two verses in that book. It says, behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. You realize the coming of Jesus was great for some and terrible for others. Those who were already broken and discouraged, it was a great day for them. But those who had exalted themselves, it was a terrible day for them. He will turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and strike the land with complete destruction. Those are the last two verses. Doesn't end on a really good note. But they knew they were waiting for someone to come in the spirit and power of Elijah. And Gabriel was telling John, Your son is it. His name is going to be John, but there will be an anointing on his life that the nation has been waiting for 400 years to see. And let me tell you why it was important for John's ministry to precede Jesus. Because after 400 years of silence, the people of Israel, their hearts were very hard. They were not receptive to hearing from God. They had not heard his voice in a long time. And John came preaching a message of repentance, but the Holy Spirit anointed his message so powerfully that even though it was a very simple message, repent, every one of you for the kingdom of God is at hand. People would line up by the hundreds to be baptized by John. Can you imagine any of us standing on a street corner and saying that today? I mean would anyone line up you know people would probably like yell things at us you might go viral not for any good reason right So you have to realize the anointing of the Holy Spirit was so strong on John. When he spoke, the people's hearts were pierced. And because of that, they began to recognize their sin. That was God softening the soil of their hearts so that when Jesus, the Son of God, showed up, they were ready to receive him. They were ready to have faith in him. They were not hardened. Does that make sense? Okay, Zechariah, Elizabeth, and John, their names together. Zechariah means Jehovah remembers. Elizabeth means the oath of God and John's name means Jehovah is a gracious giver. So together that family's name meaning is Jehovah remembers the oath of God. Jehovah is a gracious giver. How cool to see that that purpose was on that family's life. Okay, verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know this for I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years? What was his first response? Was it one of faith or one of fear? Fear, what was he afraid of? They're old, right. He was worried they were not really going to be able to receive this blessing. So he's saying, Can you give me a sign so that I know this will happen? I love how Gabriel answers him. He's like, You're looking at him, right? Can you imagine an angel showing up somewhere to talk to you? And you're like, Yeah, everything you said is well and good, but I need a sign, right? Like, Gabriel is, like, so over John at this point. So he says, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled at their proper time. How long does it take to have a baby? Nine months. Give or take a few weeks. Just depends. Right? Nine months. How long is he without a voice? nine months at least. We don't know how long it took him and Elizabeth to get busy, but nine months plus that time, whatever it was, right? He ends up going for a long time with no voice simply because he decided that his first response would not be a response of faith, but a response of fear. Faith will strengthen you, but fear will silence you. Fear says, I believe what I see. Faith says, I believe God even though I can't see it. Fear says that is impossible. Faith said God's not limited by possible. Fear says give up, it's over. Faith says stay the course, it's not over yet. Fear is the enemy's word that brings death, but faith is the word of God that brings life. Now, after these days, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant by a mute husband, I might add. I just wanna throw that little detail in there, okay? I mean, I don't, what did John do, go home and write it? Like, we need to go to the bedroom, honey? I don't know what he wrote and she kept herself in seclusion for 5 months saying this is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among people how amazing in the 6th month the angel gabriel was sent from god to a city in galilee named nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was joseph of the descendants of david and the virgin's name was mary and coming in he said to her greetings favored one the lord is with you but she was very Perplexed at the statement and pondered what kind of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. What a moment! Gabriel then, six months later, goes directly to Mary and gives her a word. It makes me wonder if she knew it was an angel because she doesn't have the exact same response as Zechariah. She's more scared by what he said than his appearance in front of her. But then he he begins to give her this message. And the end of it is you are going to conceive and have a son and his name will be Jesus. Does anyone know what Jesus means? His name means God is salvation. Which is really cool. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will be King of Israel. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Gabriel is referencing a prophecy in Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter nine, it says, for a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. Can we all say thank you, Jesus, for that phrase in scripture? His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom. To establish it, uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish. This. But Mary says to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? Okay, you may wonder because Zachariah had a question, right? But he gets a very different response from Gabriel than Mary gets. Is Mary's question a question of fear? No, it's a question of clarity. Why is she asking for clarity? Right, she's a virgin, and she just got told she's gonna conceive a son. So she's literally like, How? Dude, is there a next step? Am I supposed to go be with the man? Like, what are you telling me, Gabriel, right? So Zachariah wanted a sign because of doubt, but Mary wanted clarity because she didn't understand. Mary was not being told something unlikely. She was being told something unprecedented. What Mary was being told had never happened in the history of the world then or since. Barren women had been healed of their barrenness and enabled to bear children after many years. We see the example of Sarah, the example of Rebecca and Hannah, all in the Old Testament. But never had there been a moment where a virgin had conceived a child. So I just want us to absorb these words that we have heard at Christmas plays all of our lives. Jesus' mother was a woman, but his father was God. A virgin pregnant with child, a child formed not by human conception or an act of the flesh, but by God himself with no earthly father's involvement. God had not so personally handcrafted a human since Adam and Eve. Think about it. He had not so personally formed a human like this since Adam and Eve. So then it goes on. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month for nothing will be impossible with God. I love that phrase. She who was called what? Say it again. Baron is now what? In her sixth month of pregnancy. So my question for all of you in this room is what have you been called or labeled or what have you spoken over yourself? What words have you heard that did not come from the Lord? Desperate, lazy, can't be trusted, unfaithful, worthless, angry, not a good daughter, sister, friend, mother. What words have haunted you the way they haunted Elizabeth? God heard all the words spoken about Elizabeth. He's heard all the words that have been spoken about you. God knows what others have said, what you have said about yourself, but he also knows that his love for you is greater, and his word for you is stronger than that word that is spoken over you, and he knows his plan for you is better. So I wanna encourage you that Jesus will have the final word over your life. I believe some of you have words right now that you can remember that God is highlighting for you because he is ready to show you that he is going to do something in your life that represents his goodness, his kindness, and his power in such a dramatic way that you know and everyone else around you know, knows that this happened by the power of God. In the Bible, it says that in our weakness, God's strength is perfected. Our inability, our weakness is not just something for the enemy to use to keep us checked out and paralyzed by fear. It is an opportunity for the Lord to show up and get glory through our lives. So I don't know what inability is large in your face right now. What you look at yourself and think, because of this, I cannot do this. I cannot receive this blessing. I cannot walk in this calling. I cannot have, I just want to say to you whatever has been spoken over you or whatever you have spoken over yourself I believe when I was in prayer today for you guys that God was telling me he is going to break the power of those words off of your life and that he is ready to do something in your life that you wouldn't have even believed do you think Elizabeth would have even believed that this would happen for her and we're about to be done see I told you we wouldn't make it past chapter one okay And notice Mary's very next words. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Can we train ourselves if an angel shows up and tells us what God wants to do in our lives, that that's what we say, I'm the servant, I'll do whatever. Don't ask for a sign, just yes, sir, I'm here, right? Then the angel leaves her. And then Mary and Elizabeth have this amazing visit. It says, Mary set out and went in a hurry to the hill country. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Elizabeth cries out with a loud voice Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. How is it that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. What's so amazing to me is that the back story to Jesus' birth is marked by three things over and over again. Prophecy, worship, and miracles. You see moments where prophecy from the Old Testament is fulfilled and new prophecy is spoken. You see moments of worship erupt out of angels and out of people for what God is about to do. And you see the miraculous happen for more than one person. There is no other one like Jesus. And I want us to think about the miracle that Mary experienced in being able to conceive Jesus. If we believe in that alone, then surely he's the son of God. If we believe that Mary conceived a child in her womb without a human father, then what is the DNA of that child? Part human, part holy? If we just believe the first chapter of Luke, then we believe all of it, right? Okay, it's so good. Okay, so Mary and Elizabeth get together. They're ready to party, right? I love this because you don't see Joseph and Zechariah having a bro night after they hear all the words, right? Well, Joseph couldn't talk. Guys don't need to talk a lot, right? But they still don't have a bro night. But you do see Mary and Elizabeth hanging out for three months. Mary is dying. Can you imagine? She's just been told all this. She's got to celebrate with somebody. No one's going to believe her. But the angel mentioned Elizabeth. She's like, I'm going to Elizabeth's house, right? She walks in, Elizabeth immediately celebrates. I am telling you, we have got to have friends of faith that can stand with us and celebrate with us in our victories and sit beside us in our sorrow and stand with us in our battles. And I'm telling you, if you don't know who those friends are in your life, ask the Lord to show you who those are. Because there is something that happens when two people of faith get together and declare what the Lord is doing. It changes both people. This is what happens when Mary and Elizabeth get together. They're cousins, you know, distant cousins. Mary's young, Elizabeth is old, but it doesn't matter. They are celebrating what the Lord has done for them. And I also want to make a side note baby John leaps in Elizabeth's womb a fetus is not going to recognize an atmosphere shift change when the presence of God enters the room, but a baby will. And I'm not being political when I say this, but I am speaking the truth of the word of God. We have got to take our definition of life from the author of life, not from our thoughts, not what feels good to us, not from any other source, right? There are so many times God speaks his purpose over a person's life while they're still in the womb or even before they are in a womb. We have got to get God's perspective about life. Okay, we're going to end on this. So then Mary erupts in one of the most amazing worship moments in Scripture. It's been turned into tons of songs. I don't know if she sung it. I don't know if she shouted it. It doesn't really tell us, but it is a moment of worship. And I want to end on this. It says Mary said my soul exalts the lord and my spirit has rejoiced in god my savior for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond servant for behold from now on all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name I pray we can all say that over our lives And his mercy is generation to generation towards those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his army, scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty handed. He has given help to his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, not because the nation of Israel deserved it, for their sin was great especially at the time God sent his son, but it was in remembrance of his mercy, just as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Zachariah's name, remember? His name means Jehovah remembers the oath of God. Jehovah is a gracious giver. That's that family. The next family, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. Jehovah has added to, that's Joseph, their rebellion, that's Mary, which is funny because Mary, Mary doesn't seem rebellious. Jesus' name, Jehovah or God, is salvation. God has added to their rebellion salvation. God came at just the right time in Israel's history. Malachi tells us their sin was so great that if he did not remember his promise and send his son forth in mercy, that instead he would come in judgment. I was praying a few weeks ago, and I don't have any way to verify this, but I felt like the Lord spoke on the inside of me and said, never has there been a time in history where exponentially the sin of the world has been as great as it is right now. And I felt like he said, but never has there been a time in history where my grace has been exponentially greater than it is right now as well. And so I'm going to stop there. I know we're at the end of an hour. That was a power-packed hour. Sorry, guys. It was a lot of info. I just wanted you to have so much from chapter one. So if y'all want my notes to chapter two, we'll send them out. And can I pray over everybody? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you that when we are unworthy, you are worthy. When we are unqualified, you qualify us. We thank you that in your mercy, you sent your son, Jesus. We thank you, Lord God, that you hear every prayer, even when we wait for decades to see the results. We thank you, Jesus, that you are worth it all. It's in your name we pray, amen.